Good morning. Good to see all of you this morning. Before we get to the message this morning, a couple of things. Um, as many of you have already noticed, because the slide's been up now for a couple of weeks, I just want to draw your attention to our modified holiday schedule. Um, since I started the church 12 years ago, we've always taken the Wednesday before Christmas and the Wednesday after Christmas off. So this year, that will be no midweek service on the 22nd of December or the 29th of December. We are going to have our Christmas Eve candlelight service on the 24th, but the big thing that I need you all to lock into, okay, is that the Sunday after Christmas, December the 26th, instead of having a 9 o'clock service and an 11 o'clock service, we're just going to have one service, and it's going to be at 10 o'clock. So if you come at 9, you'll miss it, and if you come at 11, you'll miss it. So for that one Sunday, I need you all to click your brains and go, you know what? There's nothing normal about December 26 this year. We're having one service the day after Christmas, and it's at 10 a.m., okay? So remember that. Also, I've noticed that Josh and Anishka have, have snuck in, and I didn't know you were. So it's so good to have you guys here with us this morning, too. Two of our missionaries are here this morning as well. So we're glad to have all of you. We're glad to have you joining us live stream this morning as well. Psalm 90 this morning. Psalm 90. Yes, we are in a series through Joshua. But for the first time in 37 years as a pastor, God led me to do a series within a series. And so we're going to be interspersing psalms in between a couple chapters every once in a while of the book of Joshua. And uh, so we've been through our first two chapters of Joshua, and now we're going to go to a psalm, and then we'll go back to Joshua next week for a couple of weeks. Now, if you recall, though, this ties in to the book of Joshua, and we'll get to that in just a moment. The book of Joshua is all about us moving ahead corporately with the Lord, that he's got more for us. He wants us to go beyond where we are now with him, okay? And he wants us to move as a group, uh, as a people. As we do that, obviously, we've got to be willing to go with God and, and leave where we are now and, and say, God, I'm going with you. And it's not just me, but we're all going to go, okay? And then last week, looking at Joshua chapter 2, we saw the story of Rahab and how as God wants us moving ahead with him throughout our life, both individually and corporately, he wants us to include more and more people as we move along. He wants us to pick up people, if you will, as we move along. And that was certainly the story of Rahab with the Israelites. But today we want to look at a very unique psalm within the 150 psalms that are in the Bible. This is the oldest psalm in the Bible. And it is the only psalm that was written by Moses, which obviously makes it much older than the rest of the psalms that were written around the time of David and others uh, in Israel's history. And it's unique also because of 
just not only when it was written and who wrote it, but sort of what precipitated Moses to write this psalm. Because as you'll note there, if you're following along in a net Bible like I use, it says, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. So it is a prayer, okay? But it became a song of worship in the nation of Israel. It was so powerful that the nation of Israel adopted it into their worship book, if you will, their, their song book, and it would be one that they would break out and that they would add music to and that they would sing in their worship of God. And you can't read or study Psalm 90 without thinking about the context that basically was the foundation and fuel for what Moses is writing here. So I want to take a moment and remind us all of why was Moses where he was, if you will, at this point? He had led the nation of Israel out of Egypt. But because of their unbelief, God said this generation would never inherit the promised land, which we're talking about now in Joshua. They would wander around for 40 years. And for 40 years, not only would they wander, but that generation of unbelievers, that generation who lacked trust and faith in God, would just continue to die out. So think about it. Try to put yourself in Moses' spot here. Moses has walked with God for many years, and now Moses is relegated to be the leader who literally leads his people around the wilderness seeing God supernaturally provide for his people and still guide his people and be there, but to see this generation just for 40 years just wandering and wandering and him performing funeral after funeral. I mean, you and I, we would get affected in our life if we were having to go to a funeral once a week. They were burying and doing funerals every day in Israel for 40 years. Every day. Moses was doing a funeral or attending a funeral. They were just dying out. And by the time Moses wrote this, his own sister Miriam and his own brother Aaron had also died. He watched them die as well in the desert. And we also know that Moses is not going to be permitted to go into the promised land as well. And he knows that his time on earth is short. But here's the gem of this psalm. Through all of his experiences of life, and especially these last 40 years of wandering with God's people and seeing the effect of unbelief on God's people, he writes this psalm out of that experience. You see, when you and I, no matter how bad the experience is, how difficult, how challenging the experience is, when you and I walk with God through our experiences, it shapes us for the better. We profit, we benefit from it. Think back to our series in Job. Though Job went through a very difficult and painful time in his life because he held on to God throughout the whole ordeal, it shaped who Job was and how he looked at life and all of that. And Moses is no different. He has walked with God through this very difficult 40 years and it has shaped his perspective as he's seen the effects of unbelief and lack of trust in God's people 
with God and what that has brought about in so many ways. And, and so he writes in this psalm about the sinfulness of man. Notice in verse 8, he says, God, we are certainly aware that you are aware of our sins. You even know about our hidden sins. So he's not only reminded about the sinfulness of man and where that's brought them, he's also reminded about the mortality of man. Notice in verse 3, you make mankind return to the dust. The end of verse 9, the years of our lives pass quickly like a sigh. The end of verse 10, yes, they pass quickly and we fly away. In fact, he says, verse 10, the days of our lives add up to 70 or 80 if we're especially strong. And Moses has seen that time and time again. So it's against the backdrop of all of this, including the sinfulness of man and where that has gotten them and the lack of belief and trust in God and the mortality of man that Moses just pours forth this psalm. And I want you to notice that in the first 11 verses is sort of like the perspective that Moses has been given because of all this. And it's not just a perspective about man. More importantly, it's he's, he's grown to appreciate and acknowledge a perspective about God that, if nothing else, deepened through these last 40 years. And then beginning in verse 12, he petitions God. That's really the formal prayer out of it. And we're going to look at that in just a few moments. And I hope that all of us can be in a sense, encouraged by this, because I think that's why Moses was led to write it, that even out of this very difficult 40-year period of his life, that Moses saw the profit from it and the benefit from it because he walked with God through it. And several things that we need to then point out. First of all, a perspective that he had about God. The first thing is, he says, that God is our home. Oh, that we would know that today as we walk through our life. Because just like Moses, his days on this earth for those 40 years were not without their difficulties and challenges, if you will. And yet notice what he writes in verse 1. Oh, Lord. You have been our protector, literally in the Hebrew, our abode, our home through all generations. God, you're our home. We've been wandering, and we've never felt settled, and we've never really had a place on earth to call our home, and yet our home is really you, God. So that no matter what we go through in our life and where we find ourselves, even if we find ourselves in the midst of a world that is chaotic and uncertain and, and, and filled with, you know, all kinds of uncertainties and all of that, that, that God, we can always know that you're our home. We need to be reminded of that today in the world in which we live. Even though we may each have a home, physical here on earth, that our true and only home is God himself. He is our home. 
He is our place of refuge and retreat. And again, think about how important that was for Moses or any of the people of Israel at this time. That's the great thing about home, is it can be a place of refuge. It can be a place of retreat where we go. And God is simply reminding us through the words and inspiration of Moses that God is the place where we can always belong. He's the place where we can always find we're home. We belong here with him. He has a place for us. We need to keep that in mind as we move into this new season with God as well. The people in Joshua's day who were obviously on the other side of this, they still needed to be reminded of that as they moved through the promised land and conquered more, that even then, when God gave them a home to settle down in, that their real and only true home was always God. Is God our home today? And do we feel at home in God? He wants us to. Because the world can be a really crazy, chaotic place. And God wants us to be settled in him. So then Moses goes on to go, my perspective is not only deepened in knowing that God is our home, but that God is eternal. He says in verse 2, even before the mountains came into existence or you brought the world into being, you were the eternal God. You have always been and you always will be. And there's something about knowing that now we have a relationship with you and we can have fellowship with you and communion with you that can really give us such settledness and such security and such, and such stability in a world in which we live in which there is no settledness, there really is no security, and there is no stability outside of God. Your continuous existence in the midst of all of this change and decay and uncertainty really helps God, and we need to restore that perspective. God, you're eternal. You're the one thing in this world that we can anchor ourselves to. We really can't find settledness, security, and stability in anything in this life because everything is constantly changing and we don't know what's coming next. But God, because you're our home and you're eternal, boy, that makes all the difference in the world. We can reach out and touch what is eternal every day because the world in which we're living, there's nothing eternal. It's all temporary. It's all here today and gone tomorrow. And just as Moses even saw people in his life one day, out of his life the next. It's just constant. So what can give us that settledness, security, and stability? The eternal God who is our home. In fact, let me say this. Because this comes from Moses' perspective. He's trying to encourage those of us who are still alive who've lost loved ones recently this past year. He's saying, you realize because they were in touch with their eternal God that 
they're very much alive. In fact, they've never been more alive. They're existing up there in glory with the Lord, the eternal God. And one day you and I who haven't crossed over yet, we're going to exist up there for all of eternity because we're in touch with something and someone who's eternal, not temporary. And that should give us great comfort and encouragement in this world of constant change and uncertainty. He also talks a lot about the holiness of God. In verses 3 through 11. In fact, that's why they're wandering. Because God basically told them, if you do not trust me, if you do not believe in me, this is the consequences. And God meant what he said because he's a holy God. And Moses talks a lot about that. But then we get to verse 12 where Moses turns to God in prayer and, and he's reminding us that also this holy God is also gracious. And because of his grace, this holy God has provided a way for us to have a relationship with him, to have access to him, to be able to approach him in prayer. I mean, think about it. Something that you and I should not take for granted ever is the fact that you and I can talk to God at any time about anything from anywhere. And this was huge for Moses. Moses was constantly talking to God throughout those 40 years as he wandered with this disobedient people. He was constantly pouring out his heart to God. He was so glad that God was his home, that God was eternal, that God was holy, but also that God was gracious and that God was hearing his prayers and answering his prayers and responding to him. And, and, and Moses was learning how powerful prayer was, if not to change the circumstances that he was in, to certainly change Moses' heart and mind and perspective and outlook on things as he wandered with those people for 40 years. And so you and I are reminded that why I think this psalm drops at the time it does, even in our series on Joshua, is God is getting us to move. And as we move, one of the things that we need to keep doing as we move is, first of all, to praise God, to worship him. This is a worship book, the book of Psalms. And God is to be a God who is always worshipped. And so as we move forward with him, let's always remember to worship him. But let's also remember to deepen ourselves and ground ourselves in him. That as we move, our perspective of who God is should either grow greater or deeper or however, more accurate, all of those things, so that we carry with us a deepening of God. He is who we are rooted in. He is who becomes our home, the eternal, holy God who is gracious. And, and as God reveals more of himself to us, as we move with him, and he will, these are the things that we should carry with us. What is God revealing to us more about himself that can ground us, deepen us, settle us, secure us, and give us greater stability? But then Moses turns to this petition. And Moses is asking God for things, for himself and for his people. And that is a reminder to us 
that that's what God wants us to do too. Not only grow in our praise, grow in our perspective, but grow in our prayer life. Grow in our being willing to bring our petitions, if you will, before God and ask. Even Jesus said to his people in the New Testament, you have not because you what? Ask not. I want to lay a challenge before you all today. What are you asking God for right now? And if you say, I'm not really asking God for much of anything, I would say then, let God increase your faith. Because faith is the fuel that asks God for things. Knowing that God hears us and responds and that prayer is a powerful tool that God wants us as a people to carry with us along with praise and a greater deepening perspective as we move forward with him like they do now in the book of Joshua. It's one of the things that Moses here is doing is modeling that for God's people, not so much the generation that's dying out in the wilderness, but laying a per, an example out for those that hear Moses and see Moses who's going to come behind and be part of Joshua's generation that we're learning about throughout the book of Joshua. So I want to turn to these six petitions, if you will, of Moses and just examine them for a few moments this morning. And I'd like us to adopt these, not only as a church, but as individual Christians to take with us. And what a great passage, too, to be speaking on towards the end of a year and at almost the beginning of another year. This actually would have been a great psalm to do sort of as the last Sunday of a year or the first Sunday of a new year when you look at it. Moses first asks, Lord, Teach us. <laughs> and that means that you and I, first of all, before God, have to be humble and teachable. If we're going to ask God to teach us things, whatever that is, that means we've got to be in a place where we're willing to be taught, where we don't think we know everything, where we know there's more out there and we can go further with God and deeper with God and increase and grow and progress <clears throat> if i feel that i've arrived then god can't teach me anything even god not that god can't teach us but it comes back to the willingness of those who receive and notice what he says teach us to consider our mortality so that we might live wisely wow moses is saying god <clears throat> help us every day to value and realize the brevity of life <clears throat> to be more concerned with living well than living long because <laughs> let's face it some of the human beings who've made the greatest impact with their life on earth, did not live long lives. They just lived it well. And you even think about our Lord Jesus. He was only here for 30-plus years, but the impact still resonates thousands of years later. It's not how long we live. It's how well we live. Are we living wisely? 
You see, teach us to consider means to know or become acquainted with the idea that each day, each day on earth counts for or toward eternity. Let me repeat that. Teach us to consider means to know or become acquainted with the idea that every day on earth counts for or toward eternity. Each day we live will affect forever. Each day on earth is a day that will shape eternity. Wow. Every day. See, to God, there is no throwaway day. You and I don't know, this could be the last Sunday we ever worship here at the Oasis. Jesus could come before next Sunday and we'll all be in heaven. I hope we'll all be in heaven. Hmm. Or this could be the last Sunday you or I are here. This week, God may call us home. We might not ever be here. Wouldn't you be glad if you knew this was the last Sunday? Oh, good, I'm glad I was at church. <laughs> or I'm glad I was joining from live stream. I'm glad I didn't miss because I'm realizing that this could be the day, like every day, that affects eternity. And I, I want to be doing what God, I want, I want to be doing what really matters and what's going to count for eternity because each day does. It, it either counts towards something in eternity or it's something that slipped through my hands that I could have affected eternity, but I didn't that day. But every day counts. That's what Moses is saying. God, remind us every day as your people that every day counts because I'm in the midst of a generation that I see just wasting their lives on this earth. They did not believe in you. They did not seize the opportunity when you gave it to them. They'll never inherit the promised land. They'll never even see what you had for them because of their unbelief. And now I watch them just dying day after day, and they're dropping dead in this wilderness area. Oh, God, what a tragedy to think that many of them have lived their lives and they're not going to have anything eternal to show for it. And Moses is saying the same thing to us today. How many of us today and how many human beings and even how many Christians live their lives without realizing that every day counts for eternity, every day affects forever, and that we're wasting so much of our lives on things that don't really matter. Teach us, God. Teach us to consider our mortality and how quickly life goes by. Two, verse 13, turn back toward us, O Lord. How long must this suffering last? Have pity on your servants. The second petition is, God, give us another opportunity with you even though we don't deserve it. And my goodness, God is a God of Second chances. God is a God who gave this other generation another opportunity to go into the promised land. They all didn't die out there. A new generation rose up and was going to inhabit the land because God, in his grace, gave them another opportunity. How many opportunities has God given you and I in our lives? God even gives churches and communities of believers second opportunities to move forward with him. But God's not going to, even in his grace, indefinitely extend that 
we have to seize the opportunities when they come. And that's why I think this comes on the heels of what Moses just said about teaching us, Lord, to consider our mortality every day is we're only on this earth for such a short time and we've only got so much time and none of us even knows how much time we have left. And so he's saying, God, thank you that even now, and how do I know that God has given us another opportunity? Because we're here and we're breathing. And as long as you and I are breathing and we are here, God in his word says, that's the opportunity I'm giving you. As long as you're alive, we can do things, God is saying. But once, obviously, we die, we don't get that opportunity anymore. So you and I even know that God in his grace is reaching out to us today because he's speaking to all of us and he's saying, I'm giving you another opportunity because you're still here. What are you going to do with it? Because life goes by so quickly. Verse 14, the third petition within the prayer. Satisfy us in the morning with your loyal love. Literally, fill us up with your love, God. Pour out your love upon us. May we receive your love. Oh, it's so important that we as the people of God receive the love that God has for us. So many people have experienced the liberation of God by being liberated like the people in Moses' day where they were liberated from slavery. God set them free, delivered them, saved them, rescued them. And they know his law, just like the people of Israel, they knew the law, but they really didn't know his love. You know, I've met a lot of Christians like that myself. They, they've been saved, they've been liberated. They know the law of God, but they've never really allowed the love that God has for them to flood in and transform their lives. And that's what Moses is saying. He's saying, hey, it's great that you've been liberated. It's great you're saved. It's great you know your sins are forgiven. It's great you know the law of God, and God gave the law through Moses to his people, but he said it's also so important and vital and essential that you receive the love of God and that you let God's love fill you up. Because Moses says, I'll tell you, when you are a receptor of the love of God, he said, you, you won't be able to keep from worshiping and praising the Lord, which is, notice the link here. He says, satisfy us in the morning with your loyal love. Then we will shout for joy. We will worship out loud. And we will be happy all our days. We will be a rejoicing, glad people. Not in our circumstances always but in you, God, in your love for us. Every day, you and I can wake up and we can be filled up with the love of God if we receive it. So many people put a wall up, even with God, that God's love can't penetrate that wall because they put that wall up. God is saying through Moses today, put the wall down, take the wall down between you and God and let him love on you like never before. And then you will, you will find yourself a worshiping, rejoicing, praising person. Not necessarily again because of all the stuff that goes on in the, in the world and in our lives at times, but because we know that every day we are loved by God and nothing can ever separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. Nothing. And when you live in that love, it will transform your life. 
That's a prayer of Moses. Lord, fill us up with your love. Then notice the last three. Verse 15, the fourth one. Make us happy in proportion to the days you've afflicted us. In proportion to the years we've experienced trouble. Lord, make us flourish. Give or balance our highs with our lows. Balance our days of sorrow and joy. Moses has certainly seen a lot of days of sorrow. He's certainly seen a lot of lows. He's asking God, God, would you bring some highs? Would you, would you, would you bring some joy along with all of that? And he's asking God for that. Nothing wrong with that. The Bible tells us that God in his wisdom will balance our days on earth of joy and sorrow, of highs and lows. That's, that's one of the things that God will do with us. It won't always be seasons where, you know, we're going to be down and fighting challenges and difficulty. There'll be mountaintop experiences, but they'll also be balanced with the lows as well and the sorrows of life. That's part of living as a human being on earth. It's just going to happen that way. But he says, we know, God, that through you, we can flourish in every season. We can flourish in every season. And God, I'm asking you to make us flourish in the highs and in the lows. That's what the word happy in the Hebrew means. The fifth petition, verse 16, may your servants see your work. God, give us tangible physical evidence that you are working and moving amongst us. And then may their sons, those coming after us in the next generation, because God, what you do is cross-generational, may they see your majesty, your splendor, your beauty, your glory, is what the word majesty means. May they see you, God. May they feel you, God. May we sense you moving and working, Oh, what a blessing to be part of a church where I sense God moving and working, where I see God moving and working amongst his people. That's so important. And Moses is asking God, would you continue to do that? Would you work and move? And in, in this context, in Moses' day, it was more about God. Prepare this generation, Joshua's generation, to take hold of that promised land because this generation still doesn't believe. In fact, in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 31, Moses makes these amazing statements. He says, I know that this is, this is a rebellious people that I'm leading around the desert for 40 years. And he says, guess what? He says, they're going to get even worse after I die. That generation. So I think Moses realizes, I can't speak to this generation. They've closed their heart off to God, but I can speak into the next generation. Joshua's generation, Caleb's generation, the one that's going to go and Take that promised land. And he's saying, I want you to pray that prayer with me. God, let us always see you at work. Let us always see you moving. Let us always sense your presence amongst us. And then verse 17, the final petition within the prayer. May our sovereign God extend his favor to us. May our endeavors be successful. Yes, make them successful. He's basically saying, God, use us. Prosper the work of our hands. Make what we do, God, matter. Make it mean something. Make it last. Make it count for eternity. That's what Moses is asking God. And what a great thing to ask God. God, he's saying, I don't want 
us to live our lives for nothing, to get to the end of our lives and have nothing to show for it. God, I want to teach this generation who's coming after me to live for what really matters and what counts. And that obviously then circles back around to the beginning of his prayer in verse 12 where he says, God, teach us to consider our mortality. We are here for just a very brief time. Our life is a vapor. It is a puff of smoke, as James said. We appear for a very short time. If 70, 80, maybe 90 years on this earth, and that's it. And for many human beings, it's not even 70. Make every day count for eternity. I will say this, I am so blessed to be the pastor of a church that I believe so many of you, you live that way. You, you seek to invest your earthly life into eternal things. You seek to live for eternity. But all of us, no matter where we are as a church and where we all are individually, can always go further and be a little bit more aligned and in tune with how God wants us to live. And I think that's the message God has for us at the Oasis and for those watching today. It's maybe not that we're not living for eternity, but are we as conscious about our mortality as we should be? Are the choices and decisions that we are making every day, every week, every month, every year? Because here's the deal, when you and I Live, we can't go back and relive those wasted days, those wasted weeks, those wasted months. Those, we can't get those back. And Moses, if anybody realized that, as he did funeral after funeral after funeral, day after day after day, watching people just dropping over in the wilderness, I'm sure his heart ached to think a whole generation what a waste. What are we living for, Moses is saying. And he's saying, God, you have so much more for us. Let's not delay any longer. Let's live with a sense of urgency here. Let's not keep putting off what we shouldn't keep putting off because we don't know how much longer we have on this earth. Let's get busy about the master's business and live for what really matters. Would you stand with me as we pray? Lord, I pray today that as we've looked at the words of Moses, this psalm, this praise, this prayer, this perspective, that, God, we would be reminded of our priorities. And, God, that as you move us forward as a people, may we be making the right decisions and choices in our life. May we be prioritizing our life with the things that really count and really matter for all of eternity. And Lord, more than anything else, 
May we put Jesus, our Lord and Savior, above everything else. Lord, whatever comes between us and Jesus, let us be willing to lay aside. And let us as a church and let us as individual followers of yours be willing to go after Jesus and pursue him more than anything else. Because, Lord, there's never been a person who's crossed from this life into eternity who would say on the other side, I wish I would have lived for less Jesus. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm sure it's just the opposite. I wish I would have lived more for Jesus and to live to have more of Jesus. So God, would you just do a work and move amongst your people today as we end our time together today in your house in worship. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.